Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. I am Greg Littmer. I'm one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And with me today is... I'm Ross Oldenkamp, an evangelist for the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. What we thought we would do today, seeing how we've been talking about the Apostle Paul, in last episode we noticed his conversion and we talked about the fact that he was baptized for the remission of his sins, to have his sins washed away. And so we thought that what we would do in this episode of That You May Grow Thereby is talk about what Paul understood the significance of his baptism to have been. And to do that, we'll go to one of the most well-known chapters of the New Testament, that being Romans chapter 6. So Ross, you want to take it off? Sure, let's start reading Romans chapter 6. Verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we see that there is a, a, in the physical act of baptism, there is great spiritual significance. And as we see the Apostle Paul describe baptism as a burial into the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, And we might make mention of the fact that it was in his death that Jesus shed his blood. His blood was for the remission of sins, and it is into his death we are baptized when we are immersed in water for the remission of our sins. It is in that act that we contact the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's important for us to understand, prior to that, we are dead. Prior to that, we are dead in sin. The primary goal of our life 
is to live a life pleasing and glorifying to God. Being in sin, one is not able to do that. So what we need to do is find out how do we get out of the situation of being dead in sin and alive in Christ, and Romans chapter 6 describes exactly how that happens. Yeah, the... the uh the condition that you're describing before baptism is spoken of by Paul in Romans 6 as, uh, as the, the time in our lives where sin has reigned in our mortal bodies. It's a time in our lives where we have presented our members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. It has had dominion over us. We were slaves to it. Uh, and that's the that's the change that Paul envisions uh, for the baptized uh, individual is that you're no longer going to be enslaved. It's no longer going to have dominion. It's not going to reign over you any longer. There's, there's a real power. Uh, there's a song that we sing about the power in the blood that, uh, that we sing about in our assemblies. And there really is a power to liberate uh, from, from, from sin and it's uh, awful scourge. You know, it's interesting in Romans chapter 6, down at verse 16, he says, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But notice what he says here. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of doctrine to which you were committed, and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I think it's important for us to understand when this occurs. He says, thanks be to God that you were slaves of sin, but you became obedient from the heart to that form of doctrine, baptism, that he had been teaching them or to which they had been committed and then in that act they were freed from sin or no longer living in sin no longer dead in sin so we can say that when an individual is preparing to be baptized let us put it that way Mm -hmm. that individual is dead in sin in baptism he becomes dead to sin and he rises out of the watery grave of baptism to walk in newness of life. All things have become new. He's no longer guilty of the sins that he had committed. Yeah, there is beautiful symbolism in the act of baptism. And we know that God God loves symbolism. He utilizes it frequently in Scripture. And Romans 6 is where we look to see that God has tied this act of baptism to uh, the monumental occurrence of Jesus' death on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection. Notice the conditional statements that are used in this chapter. In verse 5, he says, If we have been united with him in death, which he just said happens when we are buried with him in baptism, that we are baptized, verse 3, into his death, Conditionally stated, if we have died with him, we shall certainly be united with him in the resurrection uh, that he, with which he was resurrected. And so, what did baptism mean for Paul? Not only did it mean that he was dead to sin and dead with Christ, 
but it also meant that he had a hope of the resurrection, that just as Christ was raised from the dead, so too he would be raised, not just at the final hour, at the, at the resurrection uh, of all when Jesus returns, but also that his old self, the old manner of life, the body of sin would be put to death, and that when he raised out of the water, he was expected to walk in newness of life. Let's look for a brief period of time in Colossians chapter 2, because Colossians chapter 2 does a good bit of explaining about what happens in baptism as well. I'm going to pick up reading in verse 9. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. That, of course, is Christ. And in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to his cross. And when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. What happens when we are baptized is it is a work of God. We are freed from the guilt of our transgressions. We are made to walk in newness of life. We are those who had been dead, but now are made alive. Yeah, you know, uh, everything that's been said would would be really well utilized to try to convince someone of the need to be baptized. A lot of great arguments already stated, but I think it's interesting that when Paul wrote these things, he was writing to people who already had been baptized. You know, the Romans was written to Christians living in Rome. Uh, and they needed to understand what their lives as Christians needed to be like, and they also needed to understand what grace was all about and what what was implied with the doctrine of grace. You know, Titus uh, teaches us, uh, Paul taught Titus, that uh, grace is something that instructs us to... Uh, or trains us to renounce ungodliness. This is Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So, we're dead to sin. We're baptized into Christ. We have the grace of God now. What does that mean? Well, that grace instructs us to present ourselves to God as slaves for unrighteous, for righteousness and not to be bound by unrighteousness. It's interesting. In, in Acts chapter 20, and specifically in verse 24, the gospel is referred to as the gospel of the grace of God. 
The New Testament teaches us that we are to obey the gospel. So the command to be baptized is in actuality a manifestation of the grace of God. And what happens in the act of baptism is again a manifestation of the grace of God and it is something to which we are to respond. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about obedience to the gospel. Well, the gospel is the gospel of the grace of God. That makes all of the commands, including baptism, manifestations of God's grace. And they are not, as we would say, a work of man. It is a work that God would have us to do in order to be saved. Yeah, that was shown in your Colossians passage where it says, through faith, which is man's part, in the working of God, which is God's part. He's the one who's performing the surgery of the circumcision of Christ, where the body of sins are removed. Um, I'm back in Romans chapter 6, I'm keying in on words like, do not let and do not present your members to sin. Uh, the, the grace of God uh, still very much uh, relies upon man's free will to choose to abstain from sin. Now that he has the power of God and forgiveness accessible to him, if he does sin, still the plea is, let not sin reign. Do not present your members to sin. This is not something where we should sit back and just allow... Uh, allow grace to just uh, freely wash it all away without any uh, without any personal responsibility for crucifying the flesh daily as Jesus said whoever does not crucify himself daily uh, is not worthy to be my disciple when the lord jesus was about to ascend to heaven he gave to the apostles what is known as the great commission one particular rendering of the Great Commission is found in Mark chapter 16, and I want to look at verses 15 and 16. And he said to them, that's Jesus to the apostles, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. A large portion of the religious world has that backwards saying that he who has believed is saved and should be baptized, when that is not what the Bible says. The Bible says he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. A, a simple illustration. Can we understand this? Let us suppose that I own a car dealership. And in one of my commercials in the car dealership, I make the statement because it's been such a wonderful year here at the car dealership and we have sold so many Chevrolets, if you believe and you are baptized, I will give you a Chevrolet, a brand new Chevrolet. Now, everybody can understand what we need to do in order to receive that Chevrolet. We're not going to say, well, I believe and then I get the Chevrolet and then I'm baptized because that's not the way it was stated. Why is it that in something as, as unnecessary as a car and unimportant as a car, why can we understand that? But we cannot understand 
when Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. That's one plus one equals mm-hmm. two. And we can understand that. Yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. You know, I have heard people say, well, notice that Jesus did not say, he that disbelieves and is not baptized. But I, I've never known anybody who didn't believe to go ahead and get baptized anyway. That would be a, that would be a redundant thing. And that just illustrates how Jesus uses belief. Uh, belief is more than just a, a mentally uh, accepting some fact about himself, but belief uh, uh, covers or embodies all that is required for uh, responding to the gospel. It is important to make the point that when an individual is baptized, what he is doing or she is doing is rendering obedience to a command of the Lord. Does that mean that we have earned our salvation? Absolutely not. We have simply done that which is our duty to do. Well, I think that covered it today. Yeah, yeah, I I think so. You know, one last thing that I would point out is that verse 7 of Romans chapter 6 says, For one who has died has been set free. Verse 8, If we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So I guess I'd just leave with a parting invitation for anyone who wants to live with Jesus. If you want to live for Jesus, with Jesus forever and ever, he says the path to do that is to die with him in baptism and be raised to walk in newness of life. Feel free to contact us if you have any questions about what we've talked about today. And we appreciate so much your listening. Thank you.